Thank you for listening to the Because and Effect podcast. My name is Nolan Bicknell, and I'm now joined in the CJNU studios by Damien Lorenchuk. He's the executive director of Food Matters Manitoba. Damien, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Excited so, to be here. Food Matters, maybe just before we get into things, tell me what the organization is and does, how long you've been around, and what your mandate is. All right, yeah. So uh, our organization focuses on food security across Manitoba. We've been around for a couple decades, so you know it's been a, a quite meandering journey. Right now, our focus is, I'd say, 100% on northern Manitoba, so that's mostly Indigenous communities. Um, and our focus now, or our you know, way of doing our work, is um, building, getting into the communities, building really deep relationships, and uh, just trying to build human capacity, build leaders on the ground, um, get behind them, build them a network of support, and you know, we're in it for the long haul to get the uh, the impacts going. And every community is going to be a little bit different. Oh. Every community is going to have different needs. So, like, what's the process of going in, having these conversations, figuring out what people need and want, and then trying to help them uh, create the opportunity to deliver it in some ways? Like, food, it's a complicated issue. So, like, especially in the North, maybe let's start there. Like, what what are some of the unique challenges that they have that you guys are trying to work work through? Yeah, for sure. So, you know, we have 13 core partner communities. Um, the most southern one is Crane River. The northernmost one is Lac Brochet. So just from there, there's such a, a high degree of diversity. Um, and then there's three, I'd say four different cultures that uh, we're working with. Dene, Ojibwe, um, Ininu, or Swampy Cree, and Idinu, uh, Woods Cree. Cool. So 13 communities stretched across the province, four different cultures, and just at the community level, regardless of the culture, there's so much diversity of, uh, you know, what are their interests? What's the capacity? What's the, the climate, the region that they're in? Um, so it's always exciting. There's always something happening. In terms of the challenges, um, logistically, there's huge challenges. You know, we have uh, kind of the global food system. It, it, it's very efficient at, uh, you know, kind of getting food to the cores, um, the, the, the large population centers. The past couple of years, you know, the pandemic has kind of highlighted how fragile the system is despite the efficiencies. But, you know, what we're dealing with here is that the, uh, the system is not designed to accommodate the peripheries. And so that's the entire region that, uh, that we're dealing with. You know, as, as we've kind of seen bare spots on the shelves in grocery stores over the past couple of years, uh, this is a reality, and it's been shocking for us in the cities. This is a uh, everyday reality of these communities. Right? There's so much conversation about supply chains and how the, you know the, how how we get things, and I think that probably depends a lot on roads. And exactly. some of these northern communities don't; they only have roads in the winter when it, or whatever. So, like, has your how long have you been with the organization? Sorry. So I've been with the organization for uh, about five years. Um, I started actually. I've been working with the organization longer than that. Gotcha. I started um, as a hunter in my community of Fox Lake Cree Nation in northern Manitoba. It's about a thirteen-hour drive north of Winnipeg, just wow. south of the Hudson Bay. And uh, so I started, you know, really on the ground, um, learning from the elders, taking the youth out, you know, kind of producing the food on the ground level. Um, I started getting supported by Food Matters. A uh, couple years after that, I got pulled on as like the entry-level position, slowly worked my way up, and now I'm uh, running the organization. Well, like hunting and trapping and all that stuff, that's a different la- layer of Food Matters. How, how, how has those ideas and those ways of knowing and living affected how um, Food Matters does its work and how you've sort of probably implemented some of those teachings into 
into the process as well? Yeah, no, that's a that's a great question. Um, and I, I think kind of to get into that, you know, the, the way we look at these communities, the way that these communities are understood today, um, a lot of the times you hear the word isolation. And especially with the overall situation of, uh, you know, the, the dire situation that Indigenous communities are in now, I hear a lot of people from the South, from urban centers, non-Indigenous people questioning, you know, why are these communities even up there? Why are these people up there? How sustainable is it to have people that are existing so far away from, you know, quote, uh, quote unquote, civilization? <laughs> um, and why should we be burdened with the cost of uh, propping up these communities? But that understanding of isolation is a really, really, um, it's a really new, uh, how would you call that? It's a new concept, right? concept yeah, yeah. yes, that we're in. Because up until colonization, up until, you know, what happened with residential schools and stuff like that, each of these communities was at the center of a vast network of, of nations, you know, of trade networks. Um, and in the center of these massive bounties of resources, of everything that these people needed, um, not just to survive, but to thrive. So there's a really long history of thriving in each of these now called isolated right. areas. And what's so kind of exciting about this is there's a huge movement for resurgence, and it's taking all these pieces together, you know, rebuilding communities, building up the human capacity, building up, you know, all these things like uh, the mental well-being, the spiritual well-being, healing the damage that's been done to us, and using the land around us to find that healing. And I'd say the number one part of our, uh, myself, I'm Inno, so that's Swampikri, the number one concept of our of our teachings and our culture is relationships. Mm. Now that's relationships together, relationships with the land, relationships with the spiritual world. It's all relationships. So just this one act of going out and finding the foods, it connects us to our purpose in life. It connects us to the beautiful world around us. It brings us the healing. I think I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but just the concept of like how the rocks are alive, the the, the rivers are alive, the trees are alive. You wouldn't treat a relative the same way you would treat a not like a non-existing thing. You're not going to throw garbage in someone's face, right? You're not going to throw exactly. garbage. And yeah. so I love the idea of the personification of things to to sort of humanize and and have that relationship with thing that maybe kids in the in mm -hmm. the other cultures aren't really taught that way. Um, when it comes to food and when it comes to sustainability and just maintaining. Like when you said the word isolation, I was thinking like, well, that's just independence. You have to be self-sufficient and self-dependent. Self, mm -hmm. You know, you can't rely on anyone else in those situations. But like, is your work working on trying to lower the gaps and trying to connect people more with food? Or are you working on empowering people in what they already have and be just creating sustainability in with the resources that are already there? Or are the resources dwindling because of climate change? Like there's so many questions that I'm thinking about like, where are you focusing on? What are you trying to, what's the main focus that, you, that you're trying to um, look at and trying to work on and trying to bring attention to uh, in some of these communities? Yeah, that's such a complex Because there's so issue. much. Yeah, yeah exactly. There's, right. there's so much. And any, any way you slice it, you know, it, it's, it's extremely complex. So I think the biggest thing that, uh, that we look at is, is at the human level. Because <clears throat> depending on, Whatever your situation is, as long as there's people who are dedicated and motivated to finding solutions, mm. we're going to find solutions. Um, 
the challenge that we're faced with now is it's colonization. You know, it's, it's what residential schools have, have done to our people. And it's something that I've learned very early on. You can have all the perfect solutions in the world if people don't have any hope. Mm. None of that matters. So, again, through this, this process of connecting people to the culture, connecting people to the land, the hunting and the fishing, we're rebuilding that hope. We're rebuilding right. that vigor for life. We're rebuilding that spirit of our people. Well, it's infuriating that that exact thing was attempted to be erased for, for generations. And it's like, it was always there. Like the, the solutions have always been there, but we tried to erase them. And it's a, it's kind of a, we're going back now to right the wrongs of history. And like, that's such a complex, as we said, situation. Um, what are you and your team doing to to kind of rebuild the things that have been attempted to be deleted over the last however many years of colonization like how do you even begin to to unpack all the things that are that are that have happened over the years like what's your what's your um, approach to that i think that that's the ultimate question right if we look at this kind of um looking at a medical example it takes one second to uh, you know, to slice your arm or to mm. make that damage, but mm-hmm. how long does it take to heal? And deeper than that, a wound won't just heal. You know, if 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 the wound doesn't have, if the body doesn't have the ability, if the body's not healthy, if the environment is dirty, that wound will get infected. It will fester, and it can destroy the entire body. So what we're looking at is a very very long drawn out process that uh, might last longer than our lifetimes, but. Our, our number one focus right now is creating that that foundation. So what we're all about is getting into the communities, finding the people that have that spark. Now, the challenge here, like any community that's struggling with uh, with major challenges, you know, you'll find a lot of people with that spark to do good, mm-hmm. with that motivation that are trying out to trying to go out and make that positive change. But there's so many factors that are working against them, you know, and it's human nature. We can only... We can only weather so much demoralizing, um, you know, situations or obstacles in our lives before we give up. Right. So what we're about is getting into the communities, finding these people that are putting in the work and getting behind them, building them a network of support, getting them the supports that they need, and even connecting them to the broader movement in the region. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's uh, looking from my own experiences, it's really easy to be in a community fighting for this change with very minimal support and to feel that isolation. But to connect people with other communities, you see, you know, even if there's not many people in your community that are that are doing this work right now, there's other people in the surrounding communities. We can build that community, build that support. A big challenge that, uh, that we see in our communities as well is our communities aren't functioning well. You know, when you, when you take every single family in the community for generations and you you rip the kids away and you take them to these residential schools you torture them and abuse them and brainwash them for their entire formative years you have the situation that we have today you know and and, and that's just looking from the children's experience look at the experience of the parents who lost their their children who are prisoners within their community that's designed to destroy them you know, you after a few generations, you have a situation where a community is not functioning properly. So, generally, 
what an organization would try and do to, to get into a community, an indigenous community, for example, and, uh, and, and try and get them some work going is, um, you know, they would have to start at the top. They would get in with the chief and the council and, um, you know, through a number of meetings, get support to come into the community, and then they would get delegated downstream through the, uh, through the offices. Now, this is a very cumbersome process um, there's so many challenges and by the time you finally start to get work happening by the time you finally start to see the wheels turning likely there's a whole new uh, environment and you got to start right. at the top again right. so in the situation that that um, that we're in now and where we find our strengths to actually have very serious impacts to start to build this this giant momentum and this movement forward is by focusing on the partners that we have in the north on these people that are pushing for change and letting them lead the way you know there's a lot of times where where people get caught up in what department or what organization in a community is trying to do a certain job that they lose focus of the actual leaders on the ground Mm. and so what we've done is we've acknowledged that and we go and we find the people who are doing the work on the ground regardless of what job they have, regardless of who they work for. You know, if you get in and you find the people that are about that life, they're about that change, you get in with those people, and that's how you start to see the progress go. Yeah, grassroots. Exactly. Empowering the people. Um, How do you have these discussions with city folk that don't understand the way that life has been lived for a very long time? Like, how do you fight ignorance? How do you fight you know, misinformation? How do you fight people that, not fight, but debate, discuss, educate? And not that it's, you know, on you to, to educate everybody, but like when, you ha- when you're having conversations with people who haven't been north of Selkirk or whatever, like, ha- ha- and they're trying to have an opinion on things, like what, what's your approach to, the, uh, to trying to <laughs> educate the uneducated? Yeah, there's, uh, there's definitely a lot to that. I think the main thing is it's communication, right? Communication is what uh, what breaks down the barriers. It's what make mm-hmm. those makes those relationships. We, um, you know, everybody has an opinion, and you know, the older we get, <laughs> the stronger our opinions get. But a lot of the the ignorance from uh, from any population outwards to the other populations, it's all about that lack of communication. It's easy to judge somebody and to, to, to have animosity or hatred towards somebody when you don't understand them. Um, so it's making those relationships. It's getting to know that, you know, this is the human story. These are people. We can all mm-hmm. relate to, to, to struggles. We can all, you know, cheer for somebody that's trying to overcome adversity so let's make those connections. Let's have those discussions. How has technology helped to connect and to make things more efficient? And how has it helped your work? And is it is there ways that we can improve technology? Because I don't imagine, you know, Internet connections and things like that being as robust as in a cityscape, for example. But like what what what's the technology barriers and what are some of the technologies that you're using to to connect and to help and to support and empower? Technology is definitely uh, something that's come a long way, even in the last year, the last couple of years. You know, I remember a time when I wanted to go check Facebook and I'd be standing outside uh, the band hall in the middle of winter. You know, people would be huddling around there trying to get the... Get some internet. Yeah, connect to the <laughs> Wi-Fi. Um, now, internet has, has it's, it's come so far in the past couple of years. There's still a lot of challenges. Um, 
today some of those challenges I think are more towards people's um, individual or families economic Access? status okay, it's yeah, yeah. you know the money that they have right. and in particular I'm thinking about Starlink right now mm. Starlink has done wonders to connecting people in the north. Of right. course, there's a financial there's a barrier cost, to access. Yeah. There's a lot of, uh, yeah, there's a big cost to that. But through things like this, we're seeing a lot more connectivity. And, you know, like we were mentioning earlier, just connecting people is, is fantastic for motivation, you know, for letting people know that there's a lot of hope, you know, that there's a lot of people that are putting in the work. Yeah, and just connecting the doers with each other, you know. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, switching gears back to food a little bit, I was listening to a podcast uh, maybe a month ago or so just about the culture of food and how that's changed over the 80s, 90s, 2000s and stuff. And I'm just wondering your perspective on, like, people don't really know or care where their food can't, comes from these days, and it's kind of we're very disconnected from that whole process and just you know, factory farming and all the sort of crazy things that we have grown to tolerate. But I'm just wondering what's your perspective on, like, the cultural connection to food and food as medicine and food as a, as a social connector and just where in 2023 we can improve on some of those ideas and concepts because I really think uh, we've sort of lost our way a little bit when it comes to what we even know about food and how it's made and, and preparation. You see that with you know, not hating on skip the dishes or Uber Eats. I'm very, you know, I order a pizza here and there, but like people don't even know how to cook anymore or prepare food or, or you know, all that stuff. So I'm just wondering your perspective as a hunt, current or former hunter and just just the, the, the connection to food as a cultural staple, I think, is an interesting conversation to have. So I'm curious your perspective. There's definitely a lot to say to that. I think it's, it's quite evident that in... Uh depending how far we want to look at it in the, in the past number of decades, you know, we've really created somewhat of an art, artificial world for us to exist in. The McDonald'sification of things. The anyway. McDonald's and even just cities overall, right? We're disconnected from what the world really is, for mm. what the world has been for, you know, a billion years. And it's this beautiful natural world around us. You know, in to go back to uh, to my culture and the Cree culture, one of the understandings that we have of the world is that there is no hell. We see four heavens. You know, there's where the, uh, we call it Gisemantu. People might call, call him the creator. To us, it's the loving spirit. So that highest heaven is where that loving spirit lives. Underneath that is the main helpers. People might refer to those as angels. The third heaven is where our ancestors go. It's that sky world. The fourth heaven is right here on earth. So... If you're looking at, you know, if your worldview is that the world is, it's these cities, it's these buildings, you know, it's this unnatural stuff that just disconnects us from understanding the true reality, it's vastly different than if we view this as this beautiful natural heaven. You know, if we view this as a heaven, we're here to protect, we're here to enjoy to the fullest, we're here to live our lives. And being a part of that natural process, it's, it's hard to put words to it, right? It, it completely changes the way that you exist, the way that you view the world. To go out there and to harvest your food, you know, it connects you to that truest essence of what existence is. It connects you to how, would we, how we would say in, a, in our culture, um, 
Wahutuin is the law of relationships. Mm. And this isn't just, you know, your cousins, you know, your your siblings. This is the relationships that we have with the entire natural world. We view the entire natural world around uh, around us as being our relatives. And that relationship, it's not just, you know, you can break it down to the to the very core level and see that we're all built of the same building blocks, you know, that stardust that's been recycled around for uh for for countless generations and and beyond but more so we're we're related with a reciprocal set of responsibilities you know one example is with um with the buffalo you know this is core to a to a many uh, you know a, a number of indigenous cultures that buffalo teaches us respect and that buffalo made a covenant from the beginning of time that it will always provide for us mm-hmm if we can always respect it, if we can always protect it. And, you know, these are the things that you learn from going out, from hunting, from producing your own food. Um, you know, we can go into that forever to talk about all the different things that that, uh, that you pick up, you know, that you learn, all the different values that you create. And there's so much to say about civilization and where we have it now. You know, technology is, is amazing. All these advancements are amazing but to go out to the store and to buy your meat in a you know nicely little clean packaged um package of meat or whatever or you know to order skip the dishes you lose all of that Mm -hmm. yeah i think about that a lot i i jokingly pitch to my friends like the only like i'm cool with if you want to be a vegetarian or a meatitarian or whatever but i what if the rule was you could only eat meat if you took the life yourself and you mm-hmm. you know that was your process and i think people would have a different approach if they saw what actually happens definitely you know what i mean there's a different kind of a, something in your brain goes off of you you feel like you're a part of something bigger rather than just like paying your five bucks and you get a cheeseburger delivered to your door it's a little bit different definitely it's a very humbling experience you know there's uh one thing that i always remember there's this one ceremonial song that uh, that we sing at special occasions, and it's basically, it says, the buffalo has to bleed, or the buffalo has to die for us to live. And it reminds us of the cycle of life. You know, and there's there's many ways you can look at that too. But this world that we live in, there's essentially a finite number of resources, of atoms, of anything, and mm-hmm. it's recycled over and over and over. And, you know, just the same that we're here living our lives at some point, we need to die. You know, there might be bugs that are feasting on us and recycling us back into this beautiful cycle, this never-ending cycle that is the world. And to to participate in that, to go out and take a life so that you can live is extremely humbling. It's powerful. It's, it's, uh, there's a mix of emotions when you take a life. This animal that you knew was uh, a family member to, to some other animals. You know, this animal that you know was enjoying its life and it's this super sacred and beautiful and complex relationship that we have the, uh, with the world around us that everything dies so that life can continue beautifully said um if you could just boil it down to why you do this work and why you wanted to do this work and why you took this role what how would you answer that where do i begin um so me myself you know i i have uh I've overcome quite a number of uh, of obstacles and challenges, some pretty dark places that I've been in my life. And 
maybe the biggest thing that I owe it to is this is this way of life, is to mm. the culture, is to the elders, you know, the ceremonies, the language, the land. I've spent a, a great number of years, you know, lost in the drugs, violence, all that kind of stuff that, that plagues a lot of our people right now. And it was... It was with the guidance of these elders connecting me to the culture, to these, to these beautiful aspects of life, you know, reminding me that life is beautiful, you know, that, that I'm beautiful, reminding me that life is worth pursuing to the fullest. And <clears throat> looking at the state of our communities today and getting to work together with these elders, with the other young people such as myself who have went through this same transformation and seeing truly understanding the gift of life you know it's about trying our best to to bring that to the next generation mm. you know we see our people struggling we see how much this has helped us the beautiful place that this has taken us to you know and really with our culture it's all about the pursuit of food our word which means life essentially it means to follow that is that to follow that that which has been given to us um, and that's referring to the life that uh, is given to us from Creator. So we go out, we follow the geese, we follow the fish, we follow the moose. You know, when it's it's through this pursuit of life that we learn everything that we can, that we learn what there is to be learned, that we enjoy the things that are to be enjoyed on this world. It's where we find who we are. Yeah. It's where we find our health. Knowing where you came from and knowing that generations like for millennia have survived in a certain way, it it can make you think like I can I can make it too you know like and I think a lot of times when when people turn to violence and addiction and drugs and everything it's because they don't believe that they can make it on their own and seeing the history and understanding the generations that came before you can fill you with a sense of purpose and a sense of belief in in existing that wasn't really there before I don't think it's inherent but connecting to your past can kind of connect those dots a little bit. What do you think is the is the most important project or thing coming down the pipe that that you guys have that you're working on or that you're looking forward to or something that's coming down the pipe that you're like, hey, this is really going to move the needle or really going to really going to help things? Yeah, right now, the most beautiful project that we have um, that that's growing, we've been developing it. It's really starting to get traction and. We've spent no time thinking about the name. Like we've we've just been focusing on the work. So it's just called the Harvester Program. But what that's all about is again, you know, getting into the communities, finding the people that day in day out are about the work, are about the impacts. You know, the people that have gone through these transformations, that uh, you know, are very competent hunters, but also great people. You know, their hearts in the right place. They're committed. They're reliable. Um, they're all about building up their community. We get behind these people and we support them to lead these hunts throughout the year, you know, whatever's in season. They take youth with them. They mentor the youth. They work with the elders. They produce food, and it, the, the food is shared with the community. So it's the whole process, going out and harvesting the food, um, processing it, so butchering it, packaging it, and then going door-to-door -door and handing it out where it's needed most. I think that's that's been the most revolutionary piece for a number of reasons. For one, a lot of these food security organizations, and it's not to be too critical, you know, the journey is so important. And until we take the journey, we don't find mm. 
what the mistakes are, what the solutions are, right? It's all about the journey. So a lot of these organizations, it's it, there's been a huge push for agricultural projects in the north. And I firmly believe in agricultural projects in the north, but that's a huge challenge to undertake. Mm-hmm. Um, to go to a community that's facing the challenges as, uh, you know, these challenges of colonization and to expect them to take on this brand new pursuit of agriculture in the communities with a support structure that really doesn't address any of the the main issues you know these places are coming into communities offering some some resources some materials expecting people who already have full-time jobs families Mm -hmm. to take care of people who are trying to rediscover their 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 culture bring back these traditions and on top of all of that we put the expectation that they're going to volunteer their time to revolutionize their communities their nations their food security there's no way you know we're not setting people up for success there so one of the things that we do here is we employ the lead harvesters so that they can commit a hundred percent to the work they know their families are taken care of their bills are taken care of now they can really get to work the other thing about this is, you know, we're trying to build a movement here. To tackle food security in the north, there's substantial ob- obstacles that need to be overcome. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, just logistical, political, ideological. like Exactly. Yeah. So if we're trying to get, you know, if we look at it this way, we're trying to get impacts. We're trying to seriously build momentum. You know, we're trying to get to these goals. Well, what's a practical way of doing it? Right where where my community is, our growing season is maybe a month and a half. So if you bring in like a, a million dollar year round greenhouse, you have a month and a half of a growing season. Any hiccup along the way, you know, we don't have the time to deal with setbacks. You know, your plants die. There's no time to make another crop. You got to wait until the next year. You put that much resources and expectations behind it. It's extremely demoralizing. There's right. only like you know, like we were saying, there's only so much people can take with human nature before they kind of say you know screw this, this i'm working. gonna go do something yeah. else so if we focus on what the people are already good at you know there's no learning curve we don't need to bring experts in from other places mm. in our communities the harvesters are world-class hunters and fishers you know say what you will about uh, about colonization this is one of the things that in le- at, at least in some respect has been maintained in our communities mm. for thousands of years. And that's our proficiency in the bush, you know, the way that we can go out and Surviving. get that food. Exactly. So if we focus on that, if we focus on what the people are already good at, and it's the food that we already want to eat, you know, you don't have to talk people into eating zucchinis because we're producing moose meat. Everybody in our communities loves moose meat. So you get these teams together. You know, you employ the leader of that team. You get them to start mentoring the youth so that they're building up a support network of people that will be continuing the work. And you get them out there throughout the year, you know, whatever's in season, hunting geese, hunting moose, setting nets, picking medicine. That's the way to really start compounding small successes that build into huge momentum. And then when you get these teams of people that feel like they can accomplish anything, you know, that know from their track record and that know from producing thousands of pounds of food throughout the year that, you know, they're really ready. Like this is a team with a lot of capacity. That's when we start to integrate agriculture into the mix. And the way that we do that in a, in a 
you know, in a really practical sense is we look at the community's agricultural goals and we break them down into into digestible pieces. And then each community already has these pre-existing, for thousands of years, pre-existing harvesting cycles. Mm -hmm. You know, at certain times a year, we have certain times of uh, harvesting pursuits. So you look at those agricultural goals, you break it down into digestible pieces, and then you slowly integrate those goals piece by piece into the existing traditional harvesting cycles. Before you know it, within a number of years, those agricultural pursuits are indistinguishable from the traditional harvesting. Right? We're, exactly. We're, we're, we're raising plants, we're raising animals, and we're also going out there and hunting. It speaks to an inc- oh, it's just a beautiful way of doing things but like it we, we haven't even touched on like the mental health component of getting out in the in outs of uh, the outdoors and and surviving you know like there's a there's something pretty powerful about being in nature and being becoming one with the sort of homeostasis of the of the area and that's a really cool idea to think of when kids are trying to reconnect with their cultures or whatever it may be um is that a component that you built in or is it just art when you when you're going to the communities that's already kind of there or are you trying to also bring that back bring those ideas back a little bit as well yeah that's that's a huge aspect of it and you know when you ask if i can boil it all down why am i doing this this is this is this is a huge part of it right it's very common knowledge a lot of the struggles and it's coming out more and more so a lot of the struggles we deal with in our communities you know suicide is rampant in all of our families, we have many instances of suicides. We have friends that have ended their lives. And there's a terrifying number of young people, of children, that are taking their lives. And that really goes back to, to the, the idea of hope, right? We look at our lives and, and how beautiful life is. And to be in a place where you, your only solution is to end it, you know, how, how do you combat that? Right, and even shy of of the suicides, to be in a place where you have these destructive habits, these destructive lifestyles, where you're constantly holding yourself down and bringing down the community around you, you know, these are the things that need to be addressed. And just like you say, getting out to nature, getting out into the natural world, this is really what what contributes to the overall healing. And again, that's this is why I love food security in northern Manitoba. Because just through that one pursuit, like I've said, this is how we found our well-being. In our culture, it's an oral tradition, right? So you won't find textbooks in the, uh, in the, in the conventional sense. Mm-hmm. But in order to survive in northern Manitoba, there's a vast, vast compilation of, of, of skills, of knowledge, of wisdom that needs to be maintained. And the way that we've done it is we've created, I call it a living school around us. Mm. You know, the natural world, world around us, the animals, the plants, those are our textbooks. The, uh, the language, the ceremonies, those are our textbooks. You know, these are living textbooks that teach us when you know how to go out and relate to them. And it's not just that they teach you how to, how to live physically, right? How to go out and, 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 and get that food, how to cook, but they teach us how to be well. There's there's so many teachings related to spiritual well-being, mental well-being that uh, that are held within these animals, within the words of our language, within the different ceremonies. And 
just beyond that, you know, even if even if all these teachings were lost, even if all this culture was lost, there's something so transformative about just getting out there, pulling a fish out of the water, cooking it for yourself and eating it, you know, sitting and just watching the natural world around you be what it is, listening to the birds, watching the water flowing, you know, at nighttime, looking up and seeing the northern lights dancing around you. These are the things that heal us. Especially when you can share it with someone or a group of people too, right? Like just having those shared experiences and and such, like it's not easy to sustain yourself off of the land. But if you can learn to do that and share it with another, it's uh, pretty powerful stuff. Um, If if people listening to this right now want to get involved or want to learn more about your organization, where's the best place to do that? Oh, we definitely welcome everybody to come and, uh, you know, to join the movement. We have a website, foodmattersmanitoba.ca. You can find us on social media, Facebook, Instagram. We're always looking to build our network of support. You know, above all else, what we've done is really create a beautiful mechanism for supporting and growing teams on the ground to really make this change, you know, to support the leaders in their communities and if we were to look at this like we're the ones making the change, we, we're not going to get far. You know, a, a huge part of it is, is being realistic and understanding that we're just the conduit. You know, we're here to highlight the people who are really making the change on the ground. So we welcome everybody to support us, you know, whether it's through donations, whether it's through um, volunteering your time, whether it's through spreading the word, you know. We welcome everybody to jump on the movement. Beautiful. Foodmattersmanitoba.ca. Great. Uh, Damien, at the end of our time together, we do a little segment called Just Because. It's seven questions about the causes you care about and the effect that it has on your life. You want to go through those with me? Let's do it. All right. Question one is, what is the very first cause you ever remember caring about? You know, I think it's got to be this. Yeah? Yeah, it's got to be this. You kicked it. Do you remember the moment or the day or the, you know, scenario? I don't. No. I, I can't recall because, honestly, this has been my entire life. It's just life. intrinsic. Exactly. Yeah, beautiful. Uh, question two. If money and politics and logistics were no issue at all, you could just snap your fingers and something would happen, what would you do in support of Food Matters Manitoba? What would you? What, what would be your, your dream, your wish, your, your goal? In support of Food Matters? Well, one of the things that we're really trying to do now is uh, build these big employed teams and communities. So that, you know, we all know that food security is not just about being able to have the food in your hands, but we live in a, mon- a, in a monetary society. Right. So people's economic standings, the family's economic standings is, is really, really what it's all about. So, you know, employing people to do the work, that's really where it's at. But I think now that I'm thinking about it, if I can really, if money logistics all that stuff, if that wasn't an issue, I'd say we'd have a scenario where food matters isn't needed, where, mm. the, where, where the people have the food that they need around the province. Yeah, that might be generations away, but, you know, we'll, we'll keep fighting. Exactly. Uh, question three, what's the best piece of advice that you've ever been given? That's hard. I think you can ask me that every day of the year, and I might have 365 different answers. Different answers. But one, one piece of advice that uh, that I, I very often fall back on is there's no limit to what a man can accomplish if he doesn't care who gets the credit. Mm, I really like that. Do you remember where that's from or did someone tell you that? No, I can't remember. That's beautiful. I love it. Uh, next question. What 
is the or if you could speak to your 10 year old self what advice would you give that little person that's a good question not sure if i could think of an answer right now that's a <laughs> we can come back to it. Yeah, let's come back to that. I think I asked these in the wrong order anyways. So question three, what's the biggest misunderstanding or the biggest stigma about uh, about your cause? Hmm, give me a second. We kind of talked about it a little bit, but like, yeah, what do you think is the biggest thing that you come up against with people not understanding? Yeah, I, I think the biggest misconception is that the state of, uh, you know, like this, this, this struggle that we're in, in northern Manitoba is due to personal failure. But... The classic. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. The more you look into it, and it doesn't take long at all, you know, you can see all the factors that are are at play here. And some of the hardest working people that I know, some of the most dedicated people that I know, are people with materially the least. And it's not due to their fault, you know. It's due to the situation that... uh, that they've been in, but uh, this situation that they've kind of been born into. Yeah. But, you know, regardless, I see a lot of these people, they never give up. You know, they keep pushing and they keep inspiring. Beauty. Yeah, so much on this podcast, we talk about the bootstrap, like just pull yourself up by your bootstraps and that mentality and just how damaging it's been over the last uh, number of decades. No uh, question four, what's a recent victory, either personally or professionally, that you could share with us? A recent victory. Yeah. What, what's the recent dub that you've uh, you've you're, you'd like you can share with us? You know, in this iteration of the organization and and uh, and what we're pushing for, we've just secured our first full time employee in Northern Manitoba, and this is somebody much like me who's really gone through the ringer, through connecting to the land and the culture, transformed his life, and overcome honestly obstacles that would have crippled me at any time and you know he's he's put in the work and he's uplifting his community bringing the community together and he's just been consistently a phenomenal leader and now we're in a position to back him and to give him that full full-time employment and um the resources that he needs and really see him thrive that's what it's all about love to hear it see that's pretty good dub pretty good dub so um Question six, what advice would you give your 10-year-old self if you could speak to him? If I could speak to my 10-year-old self, you know, I'd tell him to keep following your heart. You know, beautiful, life is beautiful, and, um, you know, you deserve to enjoy it. Beautiful. Yeah. Well said. And the last question is usually the hardest one for people. What do you want to be remembered for? That is a hard question. <laughs> you know, I don't... Uh, I haven't gotten that far ahead? I don't know. Yeah, I haven't gotten that far ahead. And I don't, uh, I really don't like to put myself up so big as somebody to be remembered. But if I had to choose, I'd like to be remembered as somebody that never gave up. Beautiful. Damien Lorenchuk, Executive Director of Food Matters Manitoba. Thank you for being on the podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. It was great to talk to you and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Take care. Thank you again to Damien Lorenchuk for being on the show today. Uh, again, to learn more about his work with Food Matters Manitoba, you can visit Food Matters Manitoba, all one word, dot CA. Food Matters Manitoba, dot CA. 
All music on our show is produced and composed by Trenton Burton. You can search his name on Spotify for more of his great music. Because in Effect is a podcast of the Winnipeg Foundation. To learn more about the foundation, please visit WPGFDN.org or search at WPGFDN on all social media platforms. I'm at Nolan Bicknell on all social media platforms. We'll see you next week, same time, same place. And remember, food for us comes from our relatives. Whether they have wings or fins or roots, food has a culture, a history, and a story. Food is relationships. Bye-bye.